And I just want to say that my goal this evening, as I thought about um, preaching this evening to you, my goal this evening is to be an encouragement to you. My goal this evening is to be an encouragement to you. I want to encourage you. I want, to, I want the Holy Spirit to lift, your, to lift your spirit. I want you to leave this evening with a sense of knowing that the Lord sees you and He knows you and He is with you and He is on your side and He is... And he, is, um, and, he, and, and he has a plan for your future and for your ministry and for your life. That is my goal. That is my prayer. And so I would, I would like for you to join with me in prayer before we jump in that that's what the Lord would do in all of our hearts. Lord, we come before you this evening and, and we do thank you for the privilege of gathering together as brothers and sisters in Christ from all over the country, all over this world, brothers and sisters who have a heart for missions, who have a heart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, it is why we are here. And Lord, I pray that you would do as you have stirred my heart, that you would encourage us this evening, that you would fill our hearts with courage. We all have many different journeys that we are walking and many different responsibilities that you've placed on our shoulders. And Lord, we need courage and we need strength. We need grace. And I pray that you would do that here this evening. And I pray that you would help me this evening to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to be preaching from Revelation chapter 3 this evening. And we're going to look at one of the seven churches that John writes to, that the Lord writes to. The Lord speaks through the Apostle John to write to, and of the seven churches, or there was only two of the seven churches that got an encouragement. You know, the other five churches, they got rebuked from the Lord in some way, shape, or form. That was two that did not get any rebuke from the Lord. One was Smyrna, but one was Philadelphia. And so we're going to look at the church, the letter to the church at Philadelphia. And I've titled the message this evening, An Open Door and Many, and Many Adversaries. An Open Door and Many Adversaries. So in the context of encouragement and strength and grace and, and the strength of the Lord in, in our lives, I have a question for you. Have you ever felt like the path that you are on, the calling that you are walking in, the direction God has given you in your life, have you ever felt like that that path is too big for you? Yeah? Amen. Have you ever felt like there's too much resistance? Too much resistance? It just feels like there's so much resistance nowadays, doesn't it? In the culture, in the world, all around us to gospel ministry, gospel proclamation. But have you ever felt like you've been in that moment where you felt like you, you, there's too much resistance, to, the, the path is too big, there's not enough resources, Lord, I don't have enough strength? We've all been there. We've, we've all been there, and for some of us, we, you know, those times and those, those, those feelings will come in moments, but sometimes those moments turn into days and weeks and months and maybe even years where you feel like, I don't have the resources, I don't have the strength, I don't have the encouragement, I don't have the support, where are the leaders, where, are the, where is the help? And you just feel that resistance. And I think all of us as Christians, as leaders, as missionaries, as pastors, we all go through those seasons of our life. And I believe that this section in Revelation 3, this letter to the church at Philadelphia, it stands for us tonight to be an encouragement for us in the season and in the door that God has opened for us to walk in. 
You know, the church at Philadelphia, along with all the, the other churches that John wrote to, all of them in the first century church were going through persecution. All of them had resistance. All of them had trials. All of them had pain. And it was all centered around the fact that they were believers in Jesus Christ. So we should just check the box that that's going to happen in our life. That, that, that because we're believers in Jesus Christ, because we are heralds of the good news, that we're going to receive resistance and trial and, and there's going to be difficulty because not only is the world against us, but the, 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 the one who motivates the resistance from the world, the enemy, our enemy Satan, he is against us. And he tries to bring resistance to us to get us to give up, to get us to quit. And so this evening, I want us to find encouragement from the words of the Lord, from the Lord of the church. You know, the Lord of the church is the one that is writing this. And he's writing this to a group of Christians that are, that are beleaguered, that are discouraged, and that are overwhelmed. And so this is the backdrop to this letter. And I just want to read Revelation 3. And real simply this evening, we're going to look at three encouragement, that's three encouragements that I believe that we can walk away with this evening that we can hold on to and God can breathe, breathe wind into our sails. Revelation 3 says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. He go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Real simply, three encouragements. What encouragements do we have for us here today in our church, in our life, in our ministries, in the, in the, in the doors that the Lord's open for us in our life? What encouragements do we see? Well, the, 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 the first one is this, is that the Lord will set before his people an open door. That is an encouragement that he has given us a call. The Lord will set before his people an open door. That's what the text says. Revelation 3.8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Amen. That is an encouragement that the Lord in our life as Christians, as ministers, as pastors and missionaries, God has set before us an open door door that no one is able to shut. Now, what, what does this door represent? When you think about an open door, I think there's really, there's really one general idea of what this door is, and we can see it in other portions of Scripture. Look at 2 Corinthians 2. It says, Paul says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord. So Paul talks about a door from the Lord has been opened. And then you see 1 Corinthians 16. It says this, but I will say, I will stay, Paul says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. So the open door is ministry. The Lord is saying to this church in Philadelphia, I've given you an, an open door. Now, can you imagine what, what they're thinking as they're reading this letter? Think about the persecution that they are under in their life from Rome. Think about what they're experiencing. And the Lord of the church is writing a letter to encourage them. No rebuke. Faithful endurance. I commend you for your endurance. And he looks at them and he writes this letter and he says, I've given you an open door. 
Can you imagine what they're thinking? They're thinking, what open door? Like, my wife and my kids, my neighbor, my brother, my sister in Christ, they've just been martyred for the faith. They've just been arrested for the faith. Lord, it doesn't surely look like an open door. But the Lord is looking at them and saying, no, I have given you an open door and no one is able to shut it. And notice Paul even mentions here, he, he describes this open door. He says, there's a, a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. An open door and many adversaries. You know, I think our definition of an open door is different than the Lord's definition of, a, of an open door. Wouldn't you think? When we think an open door, we don't think adversaries. When the Lord opened the door for me to become the pastor of Living Word Church, I surely didn't want any adversaries. I surely wanted everyone to be a Ben Bufkin, a member of the Ben Bufkin fan club. Like that, that would have been great. But I soon realized that not everybody likes me. I'm a very likable guy. If you get to know me. But I surely didn't think I'd have adversaries, but I've realized I have adversaries. People talk about me and it's not always nice. But God's idea of an open door is different than ours. It, it, you know, what I think happens is, is, is we, we sometimes pray prayers like this. We would never admit it, but this is the type of prayers we, we pray. We say, Lord, please give me an open door. But what, what we don't say in our prayer, but is certainly what we're thinking, is, Lord, please give me an open door with no obstacles or difficulties at all. That's what we want to pray. Is that not what we like to pray? We think it, Lord, we want an open door, but, but, but look, add, add, add some persecution into that. Add some leaders that leave you. Add some offense and some bitterness and some hurt. Lord, add some physical sickness to it. Open door, Lord, we, that's the type of open door that we would like. No, we don't ever pray that. God's definition of an open door is different than ours. And this faithful church in Philadelphia would have been experiencing intense levels of persecution. And it would seem rather strange that the Lord is telling them that he's given them an open door, yet the adversaries and the opposition would be many. And here's, here's, what, here's what we think. How often do we equate difficulty, resistance, or trials as a sign that a door has closed? How often do we do that? Often, I, I would say often, in the last four years, I've said, I've said that pretty often. Like, all right, Lord, I think we'll move on now. I think this is enough resistance. We often equate that. That's what we think. We think, God, surely this is not what it was supposed to be like when you opened the door, when you called me to that country, when you, when you, when you called me to this church, when you set me on this path, when I married that person. Surely there was not going to be resistance when I married her or married him. Surely you're closing that door. And that's how, we, that's how we think. And we think the Lord's calling us to move on. But we need to be reminded that just because we're experiencing difficulty in what God has called us to, that it doesn't mean that God has changed His mind about what He's asking us to do. The Lord is the one who opens the doors. And this is an encouragement to the church at Philadelphia. It was an encouragement to them in Asia Minor, in the first century church, in the middle of persecution, and it is encouragement to us in 2022 to remind us that, that in spite of the persecution, in spite of the resistance, that it is the Lord who is the one who opens the doors in our life. And so we're often tempted to quit the things God's called us to, like our marriage, 
I'm here to tell you tonight, if you're in a marriage right now, and you're tempted to give up on it, you're tempted to say, you know, it's just too difficult right now, I would encourage you, do not give up on your marriage. Ask for help. Ask for counsel. Seek for biblical wisdom. Don't bail on, on your marriage just because there's resistance. My wife and I have been married for 18 years. We've had resistance for 18 years. She just walked out the door, so I can say that. <laughs> I, 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 I noticed that. We've had resistance for 18 years. The resistance... The, the, the non-resistance only lasted a day after the honeymoon. You know where the resistance began? Whenever we started talking about money. Money. She's a budgeter, I'm a spender. So we're driving down the road, and she wants the Dave Ramsey plan, and I want the Ben Bufkin plan. So, so, so marriage comes with resistance. Marriage is like two porcupines trying to get close. You are going to poke each other. That is marriage. Don't give up on what God has called you to in your marriage. What about prayers for your unbelieving family or friends? Don't give up. It looks like maybe that they're never going to repent. They're never going to turn. Don't give up on your job or in that ministry that God's called you to. Why? Here's the, here's the reason why we don't give up. Look back at the text. Verse 8. The Lord of the church tells us tonight, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Why is no one able to shut it? Look back to the previous verse, verse 7. This is the description of the Lord of the church. He's describing himself in all the letters. He, he, he opens up with the description of himself. And he says, to the messenger, to the angel of the church, to the elder, the pastor of the church in Philadelphia, I write. Who's writing? The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Why do we not give up on the doors that have been opened by the Lord of the church? Because he's the one who has the keys. He's the one who has the keys. He's the one that opened them. And, and you can't even shut it yourself. I know some of you have thought you've tried to shut it. You know, you think you have the keys to the calling on your life and you've tried to shut it and close it. But the Lord who gave you the call is the one who owns the keys because he's the holy one. He's the true one. He's the one with the keys and he's the one who calls. And he's the one who will shut that door if it is ever time to shut that door. He's the one in control of that. You know, I was listening to a pastor. I don't remember who it was. I listen to so many pastors. We all do, right? And we forget who says what. But I remember this, this phrase that stuck out at me when I was preparing for this message. You know, the, the, days, and the, uh, uh, the, the days of my ministry at Living Word Church are numbered. There's a number to them. In the Lord's mind. I don't know how many that is. I'll, I'll be there for four full years in March. I'll be there for 40 years. God knows those days. My job is to be faithful with the door that he has opened. Not to figure out if I need to close it now. Do we need to try to open another door? The Lord is the one who sets before us an open door. The Holy One. The True One. This is God speaking. For us as a church or individual Christians, it may feel like there's too much resistance to the gospel. Our culture is too opposed to the message of Christ, crucified and resurrected. 
But we must never forget who is in charge. He's the one in charge of the open door. And we must never forget who holds the keys to every open door in our life. And I believe that the opportunities for the gospel are always in front of us. They're always in front of us. The opportunities for gospel impact are continually in front of us as the church. And our future is secure, even though at times it feels like it's insecure. Our future is secure as believers and as a church because it is in his hands. And you look around at the world and it can feel very insecure right now. The world doesn't want to listen, doesn't want to hear. You know, in Canada, they just recently passed a bill called Bill C-4 in Canada just a couple weeks ago. And it made it illegal for somebody to counsel anybody in a transgender, homosexual stance in their life to counsel them out of that into any other type of relationship. So that would be at counselors, churches, pastors. And so today, January 16th, um, pastors all across Canada decided they were going to break the law today. And they stood up in their pulpits and they declared the biblical view of sexuality and marriage. And so I, I did the same in support of my brothers and sisters in Christ in Canada. I did it at Living Word. I took five to ten minutes and I just read from Genesis 1, read from Genesis 2, said this is what the Bible says, this is what we believe and I gave grace and I gave hope and I said all sins are, you know, sin is sin. No sin is greater than any other, but this is God's design. And a first-time visitor was there. And um, I didn't get to stay around long enough to get to talk to that first-time visitor, but one of the assistant pastors had the privilege of having them ask why we like to bash people. First time they come to church and we are, we're bashing people. The resistance is strong. And what happens in, in Canada, it, it, it's going to come down to North America. It's going to come down to other countries that you are in. It may be there in the countries that you're serving in. The resistance is strong, but the, door, the doors are everywhere. We just have to have courage. We have to have courage of conviction to continue to walk through the doors that God has opened for us. So this is the first encouragement. The first encouragement to this church is that, yes, it looks like there is no open door church at Philadelphia. Persecution is all around you. It looks like there's no open door. But I'm telling you, there is an open door because I'm the one who holds the keys. I'm the one who holds the keys. You remain faithful. Second encouragement, I believe, is so powerful that we see here is that the Lord will strengthen those who have little power. The Lord will strengthen those who have little power. Look back at the text, Revelation 3, 8. It says, he says, the Lord of the church says, I know something about you. I know something about you. I know you have but little power. And yet you've kept my word, have not denied my name. You have but little power, little strength. So what is the Lord saying here? Well, I, I see two thoughts here when, when the Lord of the church describes the church of Philadelphia and says they have little strength, little power. I think it's really two things that are being said here is that their strength was waning. The persecution and pressure was wearing them down and they had little power. But I, I also think that it was a picture of the fact that they were a small church because of the persecution. So they're a little church that is waning in power because of the persecution and the pressure all around them. And he says, I know that you are but a little church with but little power. I know, I know. How powerful is it when we're walking through the door that God has called us to in the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the discouragement and the fear and the second guessing? Are we going to meet the budget? Are we going to pay the bills? And 
Are we going to make it, Lord, in the direction you've called us? In the midst of all of that, the Lord of the church says, I know. You know, you might could call me up on the phone, talk to me about your situation. And I might give you better advice than I gave Matt Bell and tell him to just suck it up. I might be a little more compassionate now. But, and so it's good for us to know, right, the body of Christ, to support each other and to love each other and to pray for each other. That's powerful. But the Lord of the church tells this church at Philadelphia and tells us today, I know. And if we want anybody to know, sometimes when we're in the middle of the circumstance, what do we often do? We look up and we say, God, do you know? God, do you see? Do you understand? Certainly you must not because you wouldn't have called me to walk through this path. You're the one with the keys, God. I get it. I understand. That makes sense. You open the door. I can see. I can clearly see. Look back in time and see your providence in your hand. You open the door. I can't deny it, but it seems like you opened the door and you, and, and you left. God, do you know? And the Lord looks at this church and he says, I know. I know, I see that you have but little power. I know that you are weary. I know that it feels like there are more that are against you than are for you. And that was the reality for them. There were more that were against this church than certainly were for them. I know, I see. The Lord is reminding this church and the weary believers in it. He is reminding them of one of the most important realities that we can come to understand as believers. And the reality is this. That God sees and knows the path that we walk. He sees and he knows the path that we walk. But you know what happened to Job, right? He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost his cattle. He understands the weight that you carry as a minister. That's why we come together at conferences like this so we can lick each other's wounds. Is it not what we like to do? Because it really is true. But God sees and God knows the Lord will strengthen those who have little power. I love the story in 2 Chronicles. This is King Jehoshaphat. I'm going to read two sections about the story of King Jehoshaphat, one in the second point and one in my third. But just to introduce this story, you know, King Jehoshaphat was a godly king. He sought to reform the nation of Israel. And he sought to do what was good and righteous before the Lord. Isn't that what we try to do? Isn't that our desire? We want to do what is right. But there was three armies that conspired against him. Three armies that conspired against the nation of Israel. And Jehoshaphat comes before the Lord. And listen, listen, listen what happens. It says, and now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let invade Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. He's saying, look, you didn't let us take care of them. Behold, their reward, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit it. You've given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And in 12, 12 words that describe the heart posture of a man who is in complete dependence on the Lord. You all know it. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do. 
We have but little power. It feels like there's, we're trying to do what's right. We're trying to please the Lord. We're trying to be faithful, a faithful pastor, a faithful missionary, a faithful husband, faithful wife. We're trying to do what God's called us to do. We're, we're walking through the door that the Lord has opened up. We recognize this as his calling, but we have little power left. God, we're trying to be faithful, but it feels like there's resistance all around. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. But you know where our struggle often happens? Is that sometimes we leave that posture. We leave that posture of dependence and we get over into another posture. And, and, and it would maybe sound like this. We exchange those 12 words to some other words and we say something like this. We don't know what to do, but we'll do something anyway. We don't know what to do, but we'll try something out anyway. It's kind of like the dad who, I don't know why I always blame dads, but it just kind of fits the category. It's like the dad who buys the swing set for the family. He buys a swing set and there's an instruction manual that comes with that. He's in the backyard, he's putting it together. And the wife comes and waves the instruction manual to the, to the dad and says, hey, hey, this might be helpful. What, is, what does the good, what does the dad do, right? I mean, just testosterone flowing all over, says, uh-uh, I don't need it. I'm okay, I got it. I don't know what to do, but I'm gonna do something anyway. And the precious wife is watching, and when it's all said and done, they look at it, and the wife, with fear and trepidation, walks up to the husband, doesn't want to injure his pride, says, honey, I don't think that part fits right there. <laughs> I don't know if it's safe for the kids anymore. Right, but, but, but that's what we do. I don't know what to do, but I'm going to do it anyway, Lord. So that's the temptation whenever we are walking through the door that God has opened, we know it was him. We have the resistance. We have the trials. And we, we get in that posture of dependence. And we're waiting on the Lord, trusting him. But then we get impatient. We say, oh, I'm just going to do something anyway. I'm just going to do it anyway. And how does that normally work out for us? Right back in the same posture, the same position. Oh, God, where are you? I just want to say this to help us out with that. You know, the truth is, is that having little power left is not a sign of weakness. But rather, it is an opportunity to depend on the Lord's strength. Having little power is not a sign of weakness. But rather, an opportunity to depend on the Lord's strength. Pride will often get in the way of us admitting that we need the instruction manual, right? Pride will often get in the way of us admitting that we are weak or admitting that we are struggling. The Lord will strengthen those who have little power. How does the Lord strengthen those who have little power? How does he do it? How does he strengthen us? Isaiah 40 tells us, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He is, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. How does he give power to the faint? How does he increase those with little strength? Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But how does he give us strength? They who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So what is the strategy of the Lord for those who have little power and little strength and the door that God has opened for us? It's a strategy for us to just, just get busy trying to fix it and manage it and micromanage it. No, his strategy is to hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. 
Hurry up and trust. Hurry up and depend on the Lord for His strength. They that wait in the Lord will renew their strength. So what's the encouragements for us here this evening? The Lord is the one who opens the door. He's called you. He's called you. Every single one of you in here are called of the Lord. Some of you are missionaries and pastors. Some of you are are called on your job as missionaries to your community or your workplace. You're called in your family. We all have callings of the Lord. He's the one who opens those doors and gives gives you that call. And he's the one who strengthens you when you're weary. He's the one that reminds you when you, want to, when you want to close the door and you want to circumvent God's plan and you want to close it and you want to move on. He says, hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait on me. I know you don't see me in the north or the south, or the east or the west. You can't see me at work, but I see you and I know you. And then he tells you this. He tells you this. This is the third encouragement. The Lord will fight for those who are his. He'll fight for those who are his. Look back at the text. Verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come down and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Wow. Don't we love that verse? Vindication. Vengeance. We love that, don't we? We love those kind of movies and those kind of stories. The bad people pay for what they did. The haters going to hate, but God's going to take care of them. Amen? Don't we love those movies, those stories? The Lord will fight for us. The innocent people are vindicated. But there's a big difference between the movies we watch and what the Lord tells this church. The Lord tells this persecuted church, With little power, he says, I will take care of everything in the end. I will make them bow down, and I will make them learn that I love you. Wrongs will be made right in the end. Injustice will be. But our temptation is to be impatient. You know what we want to do? We want to go Liam Neeson on people. Some of you shouldn't know who Liam Neeson is or what I'm about to talk about. I want to quote a Liam Neeson movie that none of you, I'm sure, have ever watched. Liam Neeson said this. He said, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of... Y'all shouldn't have watched that movie. Are you serious? Bunch of preachers and pastors. I only copied and pasted from the internet. (laughs) Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. But does the Lord call us to be Liam Neeson? (laughs) We want to be, oh, we want to be. We want to be Liam Neeson. What does the Lord tell us? Romans 12. Jesus The Lord of the church speaks this to the Apostle Paul in Romans 12. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. You remember the story of Jehoshaphat and his declaration of dependence on the Lord? As he's surrounded by three enemy armies. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Well, there was a Levite named Jehaziel. Jehoshaphat's frustrated. He said, God, we could have taken care of this a long time ago. We could, have, you, we could have handled this. But now we have this great horde that is up against us. God, we don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. And the Levite stands up and he says this, 2 Chronicles 20. Look at verse 15. He says, and, and the, Je, Jehaziel speaks up and he says, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, listen. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of, wilderness of Je, Jerul. You will not need to fight. You will not need to, need to go Liam Neeson. S- stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Amen? Four things the Lord tells Jehoshaphat, tells the king and the people of Israel. He says this, you will not need to fight. Whatever you're walking through right now, Whatever you're walking through, whatever you're walking through in the middle of that open door that feels like it's not an open door, there's a lot of resistance, you feel like no one sees you, no one knows you, you're struggling to know if even God recognizes and sees, you have people that are resisting you, standing against you. Four things we need to know in the middle of that, you will not need to fight. Stand firm. Hold your position. And watch the Lord win the battle. You will not need to fight. Stand firm. Hold your position. And watch the Lord win the battle. Amen? I'm preaching better than you're talking. The Lord tells us in our personal lives, don't fight your own battles. Stand firm. Hold your position. Don't give up ground to the enemy. And watch the Lord fight for you. Why? Because the Lord will fight for those who are his. They will learn that I have loved you, that I am with you. They have looked at you and your ministry and your life and have said, surely God's not with him. What did, what, what did Job's friends say? Surely God's not with you. What did his wife say? Curse God and die. Surely God's not with you. He's abandoned you. They will learn that God is with you, that he loves you. He has a plan for your life and your ministry. He's got the keys. He's opened the door. Don't be discouraged by what you see going on all around you in the culture or in your unique circumstance. It may look like there's three enemy armies on all sides right now. It may look like the enemy is winning on so many fronts in our world today. Truth is under attack. Biblical truth is not tolerated. We're so divided in our country, divided in the church. But I want to end with this. 
You know what I believe we need in the midst of all of this? We need a revelation of the grace of God in our life. All of this, the reality that God's the one who opens the door and He's the one who, who, who fights for us and defends us and He's loved us and He sees us and knows us. When I think about all of that, I think about the grace of God in our life. We know the grace of God in salvation, don't we? We're saved by grace through faith, apart from works, so that no one will boast. We are saved by grace. But we often leave grace at salvation. We need to be reminded that we need grace every day of our life to walk out these realities that we're talking about here this morning, this evening. The grace of God. We need the grace of God. And you know who has a limitless supply of grace? John 1.16. I love this. This is in the prologue of John. John chapter 1, 18 verses. And John is revealing who God is, who Christ is. And you know what Christ reveals about the Father God? He reveals about the Father God. When, when, when the Word became flesh, John, John 1, 14, the Word became flesh, it revealed things about God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to understand God and explain God, look no further than Jesus Christ. And so when Christ walked the earth, we see who God is. And one of the things that is revealed about God is that when we see the life of Christ, we see, we see grace on display. And look at John 1.16. It says this, For from His fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. You know what grace upon grace literally translated out to mean? Grace in place of grace. Grace in place of grace. So, so it's, it's super abundant grace. It's grace in place of grace. You run out of a little grace, well, it's grace in place of grace. It's, it's, it's more grace. It's, it's grace for today. It's grace for tomorrow. It's grace for the next day. It's grace for the next day. It's grace for the day after that. And the day after that, you need some more grace? Well, there's grace for that day. You, you, you got another trial that's coming? Well, there's grace for that day. It's grace upon grace in place of grace. Super abundant grace, limitless grace, never-ending grace from the throne of God. Why? Because God is eternal. And why is this grace limitless? Have, 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 have you ever cooked a recipe before? It's that special recipe. Let's just say it's spaghetti. You're cooking that spaghetti and you have that sauce that you're cooking. And you go to go in that cabinet, you've done everything, you built it all the way up to the time where you gotta season the sauce and you go in the cabinet and there's that seasoning that is it, it's the it factor. And you do like me, you get in your spice cabinet and you got a little wheel of all the spices on it and you just turn the wheel and you get the spice and you go to grab it and it's not there. It's ran out. And you look at your wife, I thought you went to the store to get the spices. This actually happened a few days ago. That's why I'm using this as an example. So what I have to do for my spaghetti is I got to manufacture Italian seasoning. There was a special Italian seasoning that we found that was really good, but we had ran out of that Italian seasoning. So I had to get some oregano and I had to get some basil and I had to mix it together with some garlic and, and make a 
an Italian seasoning, but I didn't want to do that. I, I wanted the special sauce. I wanted the special seasoning, the one that made it just right. And that is a picture of us with our limits and our parameters. We run out of Italian seasoning. We run out of grace. And we constantly go back to the cabinet looking for something that's not there. But we, we run out. But God does not run out of Italian seasoning. He doesn't have to go back to the store. What, what's the store here? H-E-B? God doesn't have to go back to H-E-B to find anything. How do I know that? Look back at John 1.16. Where does this grace upon grace come from? Look. For from his fullness. We have all received grace upon grace. Where does this limitless grace come from? From his fullness. Is God lacking anything? No. From his fullness. So here tonight, right now, there is a limitless supply of grace for your circumstance and your situation. You can stop going to the cabinet looking for the special sauce, the special seasoning to try to season up your, your circumstance or your situation. Just, just say, God, open your cabinet. Give me something from your fullness tonight. I want something from your fullness tonight. The door you've opened, I know it's from you. And the resistance is hard, but God, I need your grace. I need your grace. I've been trying to manage it and do it without the instruction manual. I've been trying to put it all together and all the pieces are looking missing and, and my leaders and people looking around at me and saying, ah, it's a little off. We just need to step back and say, God, look, here, just pour it on. I need some more. I, I need your grace tonight. So that's what I want. That's, that's what I want to do. I just want to end in prayer. I don't know where you are and what circumstance you're actually walking through because so often we don't, we don't talk about it. And we, as I said earlier, we we micromanage and we put on a front and a face. It's so easy to do that as Christians and in the church. But just would like for, for you to close your eyes. Just between you and the Lord. I believe that there are people here this evening that you need the Lord to open his spice cabinet tonight. And you need him to dump on you an extra portion of grace. Just an extra portion of his grace tonight just to remind you that he sees you and he knows you.